we go to these buildings to do some sort of work, to create something, those are the customers that we do get very excited about working with because when we look at their system, we say, oh my gosh, we can make such an impact, not only for your bottom line, but also for how you use the building and the mission of why you exist as a business. And that's really exciting work that we do. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we're talking about comprehensive energy efficient solutions with one of the most storied brands in HVAC. It should come as no surprise that heating and cooling consumes the largest share of energy in most buildings. My guess says nearly a third of that is wasted. That leads to the challenges we always face when it comes to discussions about efficiency. How much can be saved through behavior alone? Yet, how comfortable is a building going to be if a space has the air turned off and a conference room is needed for an impromptu meeting? Sure, new equipment will save on energy bills, but how long's the ROI? My guest gets questions like that every day. Her team has worked to develop solutions that ensure those who use a building don't notice that energy is being saved all around them. They are also often tasked with making the financial case to upgrade the older systems. I was also interested to know how energy efficiency has changed in an office space that is now post-COVID. So many folks are now on staggered schedules and don't come into the office 40 hours a week. While that may mean smaller square footage and fewer hours to condition a building, it could be wildly unpredictable when any given space will be used. Then there's the decarbonization goals. My guess is we're living in a world where their clients are dealing with new math. While there's not a direct price on carbon here in the United States, There's an incentive to lower their carbon scores from a goodwill angle, if anything else. These all lead to a number of variables that my guest believes they are uniquely suited to address. While it may not have been their business model 100 years ago, my guest says their holistic HVAC approach is key for a more energy efficient future. My guest today is Becky Wacker, Director of Sales for Energy Services at Train, the global HVAC company. Train's American headquarters is outside of Charlotte. Becky is based in Minnesota, and we compared war stories about heating in the north versus cooling in the south, where I'm located. Our interview covered the gamut of energy efficiency issues affecting the industry today, including exactly how do we model for a post-COVID workplace where employees' relationships with their offices may still be evolving. I was also eager to learn more about the team's work to develop comprehensive of microgrid solutions, something you certainly wouldn't expect from an HVAC company only a few years ago. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Becky Wacker. We're here with Becky Wacker, Director of Sales for Energy Service at Train. And Becky, I think we should get folks reintroduced to Train. Many of us may have Train air conditioners at our homes, but as all major companies do, they have a services division, right? And I take it this energy services group hasn't been around since Train was founded in 1916, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right, Jay. When you think about Train, many people have heard the slogan, it's hard to stop a train, which I think is pretty much marketing genius, whoever came up with that one. 
own, but that is our residential business. And Train, as a company, has been around since 1916. We got our start in the HVAC, specifically around the chiller industry, which is how all great things come about, is finding a problem and bringing a solution to buildings. With that great product comes next, the maintenance and operations. So here's something to help your building be more comfortable. And here's how to keep it up and running and maintain that and fix it when it gets towards its end of life or needing some repair. And then from there, when you look at our buildings, become a building expert in making those buildings comfortable, especially from a commercial standpoint, the utility consumption becomes very large. And so train naturally became an expert in how those buildings behave and perform. Things like water infrastructure, HVAC infrastructure, electrical infrastructure, and all the utilities that are used with it. So our energy services group, that's what we provide for our customers is that holistic look at the energy and the utility consumption, as well as the energy creation for their buildings. So Becky, HVAC, as we know, is a huge energy consumer. I can understand how offerings to monitor and report energy consumption would make sense from a business standpoint, but why should that responsibility ultimately fall to you? Why do you think Train be best for energy monitoring like that? There's a lot of energy efficiency companies out there, right? There are. A lot of folks are looking at this, especially in the commercial space. I mean, certainly it's a great connection to the residential. Being energy experts and understanding within the building space in commercial, about 40% of energy consumption is from the HVAC in buildings. And about 30% of that energy is wasted. So when we think about our right to play, if you will, or the expertise that we bring into that space, is it's not enough to just have the data on your buildings, especially in the commercial space where there is tons of data that you can have on a building with building automation systems, as well as different control systems for your lighting, your water consumption, et cetera. You have to have that ability to take that data, turn it into information, and that information needs to become insight so you can actually do something with it. We think and believe very strongly that it's important to have expertise around the usage, the way people use the building, the way they use their equipment, the way they maintain their equipment, how they pull the systems all together, and how they interact with each other to then be able to give folks information about how to actually use that insight and how to make changes and how to drive that energy efficiency to help try to reduce some of that 30% wasted energy within the building space. Yeah, that's a huge number. When we talk about energy efficiency as a family of energy technologies, talking to the guests that I've had, it always seems there's a balance of the money you spend now versus the energy you save over the long run. And I think the lowest hanging fruit is simply to change the behavior. I'm hoping that's part of that 30%. What have you seen? 100%. I mean, we've all had our dads run around behind us telling us to turn off the lights, right? It's the same concept, except in the commercial space, it can be really challenging to have that same conversation with a lot of people in a building, especially when it's a balance between customers, employees, building users, facilities, staff, etc. So as you think about the commercial space and behavioral changes, sometimes that can just be how you run your space and how you run those systems. So optimizing the HVAC system in the long run and other things like lighting, water consumption, et cetera, without needing to replace it, but just being more effective in how you use it, looking at how you do your scheduling, looking at when you turn things on and off. You know, we all see commercial buildings are being used differently today. So tying that in there and now with the piece that you brought up around understanding energy usage and the information systems around energy management that we're seeing, that gives us the ability to now start predicting how spaces are going to be used and how the weather is going to interact with the buildings 
so we can do things like adjust humidity levels, pre-cool spaces, et cetera, that doesn't require you to be ripping out systems in a quicker replacement cycle than what their natural life cycle is. There's also small tweaks that you can put in those systems to make them run more efficiently. I mentioned scheduling. You can also bring in things like variable speed drives and so on that'll allow you to use just what you need to from an energy perspective and not more than you need. What's one simple takeaway? A lot of businesses, are they overcooling? Are they overheating? How are they wasting energy maybe with the routines that they've set? Yeah, what we see a lot is from a scheduling standpoint, both of those problems, right, where they're not looking at how the spaces are actually being used. They're cooling a space that has no one in it or heating it, or maybe the schedule gets adjusted. They put the space in hand, if you will, so they turn off the scheduling and forget to turn it back on. We see a lot of those items taking place. And then also what we see from buildings in general is things break, things don't work quite how they should. They need to be maintained. They need to be updated. And so the building control system and the scheduling that you put in place is only as good as the items that you're controlling. So if you have valves that are leaking or dampers that are too open or too closed, those sorts of things, that can drive a lot of energy usage. So using those data insights to find those items can be really key. I think most people would probably go, okay, I'm all about this idea of a room is not cooled because no one's in it. Maybe it's even as sophisticated as you can reserve rooms on Outlook. But then if there's a situation where we have an impromptu meeting, we have to get there and you go in there and it's 10, 15 degrees hotter than it needs. I think it's almost like the same thing with range anxiety with an EV, right? The unexpected <laughs> things that you have to do. And, and it's like now we're being put out, right? Mm -hmm. There's ways to deal with that, I suppose. There is, right? You need to set your control bands appropriately. You need to make sure that you're keeping your baseline conditions correct, right? You need to make sure things, especially like humidity, are really, really key to ensure that your building stays within a band. So you can't get it too far out of control. And you know, if you're going to have an impromptu meeting with a room very, very full of people, you don't want it 10 degrees. Out of set point, that's going to be a challenge. Certainly there's nuance. And that's why it's really important to have a provider that understands how those buildings are being used and the capabilities of the system that you have. If you have the ability to drop that temperature quickly, you can open up the band, but then you may have an oversized HVAC system. So getting that nuance just right between how much can you adjust it and how are you going to use that space, it's totally possible and you don't have to be afraid of letting a space be a little bit warm or a little bit cool and getting it caught back up. Yeah, Becky, you mentioned humidity. You know, we always see that on our thermostats. We usually just think of just temperature, right? So how does humidity factor into it? Is it something you can play with? Is it something that helps with efficiency more so than just making something hotter or colder, maybe that's a, another dimension to all this that we're not maybe sufficiently playing with, right? Yeah, it's really key. And it is a piece that we forget about. And I'll try not to get super nerdy and start talking about stoichiometric charts and curves and so on. But we all have that experience where, you know, I was in Phoenix last week and you talk about it being a dry heat. So it doesn't feel as hot. I just got back from Miami. That was not a dry heat. So it feels really different. And so depending on the space that you're in, you can make it feel warmer or cooler depending on the relative humidity in the space. And so having control over that is very important. It's not something that just naturally happens. You have to be a little bit intentional about how you drive that. And especially in the commercial space, getting it controlled as it's coming into the building and as you control those conditions is very key for how that building feels. And you know a lot of other things that come into the building around how air behaves within it, the air coming through to prevent things like germs and humidity buildup, some of those spaces that 
that you don't want to have over in humidity because then you end up with mold and some of those other pieces. So those are more offshoots when you get really out of control, but it is possible and we do see it. So it's a critical component when you're looking at commercial spaces and keeping them comfortable. When we're talking about customers, right, and we talk about this initial outlay, some of these companies are on thin margins, right? They have decrepit equipment, but upgrading is expensive, right? We know that better equipment would help them out. How are you going in and closing the deal for these folks who are going, uh, that's a lot of money to spend up front? Yeah, that's a great point. And that's where in some ways, comparing the residential to the commercial space starts to diverge. I think in a lot of ways, they're very similar, but the amount of utility usage and spend in the commercial space compared to replacing equipment is a little bit different. And the way that you do the monetary valuation of buildings, often when we go to sell our houses, we're talking about granite countertops and not so much what our mechanical systems look like, or at least in most home advertisements I've seen. But when we work with our commercial customers, we do need to balance that out, right? It's building out that asset plan to understand where they are today, what their plan is for that building use, what kind of shape and condition those are in. And then the pieces come in around what is your energy usage? What is your maintenance cost? What is your deferred maintenance on what you're going to have to spend coming up? And how can we use some of the incentives out there to look at the financial sense of replacing your equipment? And so there's times where you can look at a broad set of infrastructure within a building and say, this piece of equipment doesn't make sense to replace on its own today. But when you package it together with a number of different pieces of equipment, and then you look at the energy savings or the utility spend savings, now you can start funding replacing some of those pieces of equipment with the energy savings from other pieces. And so that's a really big piece for our customers to look at their building holistically and say, if I need, say, a new roof because it's getting to the end of its life or having issues with it or just want one that looks nicer, it might not make sense financially to replace that roof today. But if you go look at maybe your HVAC systems or your lighting systems or how you're doing your electrical power and some other pieces to that, Now you can start building up a savings package where you can finance replacing all of that at one time, and it becomes a very attractive financial solution. Yeah, I'm wondering what's the potential here. Many of these companies probably took over space, right? They didn't build it themselves, and so they probably weren't immediately familiar with the equipment they had. And I'm sure that you've been in situations where you're probably rubbing your hands together and going, oh, my goodness, this stuff is ancient. This is going to be major (laughs) potential for savings and improvement and efficiency, right? Oh, totally. There's a lot of times when you look at buildings, especially in the retrofit space, you know, when you're building a new building, you've got the code and it's easier to design a very efficient building. When you're looking at existing buildings in the retrofit space, a lot of it comes to who owned the building before, how invested were they in making updates, what were the building codes along the way as they made changes and so on. And so there's a lot of different opportunities to not only improve the finances of the utility spend, but also improve the environment of the building for those who occupy. It. So when you're thinking about a building that you're going to to work, you know, as we try to bring people back into the office or we think about students in classrooms or patients in hospitals, we go to these buildings to do some sort of work, to create something, to create brighter students, healthier patients, etc. And so when you look at the energy savings you can create, you can also improve the indoor environment quality by updating these different systems. Those are the customers that we do get very excited about working with, because when we look at their system, we say, my God, we can make such an impact, not only for your bottom line, but also for how you use the building and the mission of why you exist as a business. And that's really exciting work that we do. 
You know, everything's post-COVID, right? And I think so much about commercial buildings, like you said, they're being used a lot differently now. And I'd have to think, you know, commercial real estate is probably having a bit of a challenge. I'd imagine that you're eventually going to see commercial real estate, like in big buildings and things like that, maybe even converted over to residential. What have you seen? What world are we living in now with these buildings that were built for a purpose pre-2020 and now we're post-COVID and everyone's working remote a lot more? What are we seeing as far as the use and how you guys are coming in and making a difference? Big picture, I think we're still in that waiting space to see what happens. We do have a housing shortage across the country. We do see the move towards the residential space. And when it comes to commercial office space, as leases come up and they start to renew and folks look at some of the commercial choices that they made for their spaces, they're making decisions. I can't predict yet, and we're unable yet to say exactly where we think it's going. But what we are seeing today is a lot of times, especially in that office space, that companies may be shrinking some of their square footage, but they're improving the amenities. So they're trying to create less square footage, but nicer square footage, if you will, in a way to get people back in the buildings and working together. Because when you get humans rubbing shoulders, great things happen. And you can do a lot of it through teams, but many companies are starting to bring people back into the office. So we're looking to see where that goes. One of the challenges that I do see when you try to make commercial space turn into residential space is you start to get into code issues around what can be considered a residence versus what is considered okay from a code perspective for the commercial space. So really thinking through how we use them and how to get creative, it's going to be very interesting over the coming decade. Yeah, that's fascinating that you see a lot of commercial spaces kind of opening up, you know, with fewer people there all at one time. Becky, I want to talk a little bit about decarbonization, right? Because this can have a monetary value too. We've talked a lot about the value on other episodes, renewable energy credits for solar producers, for instance. How are you putting a price on carbon? How do you think that's making these types of infrastructure improvements more attractive to clients, right? Yeah, I cover the Americas. And so I have a broad purview. And then we do work with a number of customers that have locations in Europe and other parts of the globe. And those places do have price that they put on carbon. In the United States, we haven't. There's a lot of nuance to it. And there's a little bit of feeling our way through it in terms of what is the customer's approach? Do they want to put a price on it? We've seen some customers say, yes, we're going to put a price on it. We're going to do our own carbon price. We've seen a few different approaches to that. Some looking at what other countries are doing and just adopting that. Some saying, well, let's start here and then ratchet it up over time. But generally speaking, we're seeing a lot of folks say there's new math around decarbonization. We're not sure exactly what it is, but how can we leverage this differently and how do we have to make our decisions? Because many of our customers have made some sort of promise or target around their decarbonization practices. And so as they start thinking about how they're going to achieve those goals, we look at what does each piece on their decarbonization journey look like for them? As we work with our customers, we help them put a price to the decarbonization opportunity that they have and then work through how they wanted to do the math. And sometimes that's based on outcomes. They may look at it and say, we want to have a brand that stands for being net zero, or we want to have an employment brand that stands for being environmentally friendly. I know Train and our parent company, Train Technologies, we attract a lot of folks. We hear from a lot of folks that they want to work here because we're climate innovators and it's what we do for our customers and what we do within our own practices. That's harder to put numbers to like we have historically around ROI on just straight energy savings, but it's working through. And that's one of the things that we found most important with our customers is not if they're doing a price on carbon or what the price on carbon is, but it's how do they want to approach it and let's get that sorted out up front. So when we're doing the math and we're looking at the different options on a project that we've already made that decision and we're aligned on it. 
Yeah. Just come down to goodwill, right? One of the parts of the business I know wasn't around at the beginning was trains work with DERs, distributed energy resources. You talk about this a lot on your website. It says that you're working with customers to incorporate renewables, storage, microgrids. At what point does it make sense for a customer to stop buying all their energy from, say, a utility and invest on their own? I mean, that's a whole different level of investment, right? Yes, it is. And there's a few different pieces to look at it when we think about resiliency. And that's really what you're you're aiming for when you're looking at a DER is what is your resiliency approach? And that can break down into flat out, do you have a critical application that cannot have downtime? For an example, we do work in military bases. They cannot lose power. And I think we can all understand how important it is to their mission and the lives of the men and women that are serving that they have power. So that's one example of an extreme resilience need. But you also see that in healthcare, you see it in data centers, etc. They can't go down, they have to have power. There's also a space where looking at the grid and what kind of power access you have, not only how trustworthy the grid is or how reliable the grid is, but also what types of price fluctuations do you face? Some parts of the country, they have a flat rate and that's always what it costs. There's other places where you've got peak charges or demand charges and those utility bills can get complicated and different from that standpoint. So from an economic resilience standpoint, if you will, being able to have flexibility in terms of what kind of power you use and when and why and how plays into that in terms of just flat out your bottom line and how you spend the money. And then there's going to be spaces around what kind of environmental conditions you have. Do you have a great site for solar or do you not? Do you happen to have something that makes sense, a cogen plant? Do you have some sort of a waste product that you can leverage? That's where our customers really start making some of those decisions to say, should we invest? And it's important to have the ability to have a bespoke solution for that, where it's not just a cut and paste, here's what you get, but a what makes sense for your business? Why are you trying to achieve this? And then tying the outcomes and the solution to what you're trying to achieve from your mission goals. Yeah, I'd be interested to know, does Train design the DER solution? Do they design the microgrid for some of these customers? What have been some examples of that? We do. We look at the holistic solution for our customer and the approach that they need to take. And what I mean by that is so often within the supply and demand side of the equation, you know, the demand being what power do I need and the supply being how do I get it? We often go right to the supply saying, well, this is how much we use on a regular basis. So this is how much we need to create. When I say look at it holistically, it needs to start with the demand. And so looking at how do we get our energy usage down? How do we segment out what that customer actually needs or what that mission or facility is actually requiring for the mission critical? And how can we make sure that we're making good choices within it? If the customer's goal happens to be around decarbonization, are we looking at moving away from burning fossil fuels to doing electrification of heat? That's also going to change the equation. Tying in and getting a good solution around that and getting your arms wrapped around that piece first is absolutely critical. And then bringing in from a DER perspective, okay, how are we going to do the supply side and what is that microgrid going to look like? It needs to be all sides of the equation looked at at the same time versus one at a time. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, I've been getting pitches on things like a neighborhood that's powered by geothermal, right? It's not just one house at a time or something like that. And so I'm wondering with some of your customers, especially when you're talking about something that's a little bit larger, like a microgrid, are you developing solutions for, say, like an entire cluster of buildings, like an office park or something, not just one building at a time, multiple clients? Is there a benefit from sharing resources, even <laughs> sharing the same HVAC system? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a benefit of scale more often than not. And that's a broad statement, right? <laughs> you know, I'll put some qualifiers around it that it's a broad statement. But generally speaking, the bigger the system, the more efficiency you can drive out of it. We typically see school districts that do this, or we've got a big project within the state of New Mexico around solar PV.
EVs creating six megawatts of renewable energy every year, military bases, that sort of thing is where we typically see this. There's certainly an amount of scale that you need to look at for it to make sense. But again, with those qualifiers, it depends more on the energy demand and supply that needs to be creative. And so you could have a small site with a big demand or a large grouping with a small demand, and it's going to be more the demand number than necessarily the scale or size of the space. Yeah, I've done an episode or two about district heating. Is train involved in that? Yeah, we do quite a bit of work with district heating and cooling plants, working with them, certainly on the HVAC side, we have some expertise there, but working within how that energy is created and how it can be done most efficiently is really key as we look at how we as a society move forward and how we heat and cool our spaces. And then finally, <laughs> big picture here, trains based in Davidson. I was in Charlotte for a long time. I recently spoke to a guest that I worked through briefly that was also based in that area that had a solid state circuit breaker technology. And Trains core businesses a lot like that. This is a product that's everywhere, right? Everybody needs it. When I ask how large this is as a business opportunity, what is the low-hanging fruit? How much improvement can we make? Everybody probably could use a more efficient HVAC system. How does that go when you basically have a service that everybody needs and is needed everywhere? Well, I'm going to have to be careful so I don't get held to any financial commitments to my boss. But um, <laughs> within that space, Jay, there's tremendous opportunity. And really, when I think about the train business, Business, you have the energy efficiency side. Everybody needs to be looking at their energy efficiency and how they use energy. We also have a huge space right now where we're looking at the electrification of heat. If we're going to hit our targets and our goals, if we're going to meet some of the commitments that we've made, we need to stop burning fossil fuels to create heat. And so the electrification of heat, moving to things like heat pumps, where we're moving heat around within our spaces in a different way, the technology is there. We can effectively heat and cool residential and commercial buildings with the heat pump technology that we have today. Moving into some of the process heating, that's where you need to expand your temperature bands. And so we have an opportunity within certainly our business and the industry to expand the temperature band of our heat pump technologies to support some of those other pieces. And then when you start wrapping that into what types of refrigerants and so on are you using, there's certainly some phase outs coming with different pieces of refrigerant. And so that makes maintaining older equipment very costly. And so you need to look at how and when it makes sense to replace it. And then lastly, tying and rounding it all out with renewables is a really key piece. And all of that plays into what the train commercial business does and provides for our customers. At the end of the day, if we're going to hit our decarbonization goals, we cannot out-renewable our way there. We can't out-renewable wasteful energy practices, and we can't out-renewable burning fossil fuels. So all of those things are going to be pieces and levers that we need to pull and that our customers need to pull in order to create a lot of the ideal scenarios and the decarbonization practices that we're aiming for. Yeah, that's such a great point. Can't out-renewable stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. All right, Becky Wacker, Train, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jay. It was a pleasure to be here today and have a conversation with you. That was Becky Wacker, Sales Director for Energy Services at Train. I want to thank Becky for her time as well as Courtney Sandora at Go Social for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 172. Be sure to join us next week when we figure out how everyone can get an EV. It was from my panel at the RE Plus show in Vegas. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.